So Jacqueline, we are very happy to have you around the carpet here with us, uh, with my friend Atik, uh, for the second year of the Story Tank. Um, and uh, we, I, we felt like starting with the question, uh, the very broad question, uh, which is why do we all need stories as humans? Or do we need them at all, by the way, you know, uh, from your angle? <laughs> sure. Um, uh, that's, that's a question that you can answer on so many levels. So um, I guess, first of all, you could say that, um, you know, th there's a lot of purposes for stories in human life. Um, you could answer that on a kind of anthropological level and explain that, you know, it, it seems to promote group bonding. You have um, similar reference points and it helps um, foster a shared understanding of the world and um, shared experiences. Um, there's probably also an evolutionary aspect to it as well um, that humans are essentially kind of narrative making machines. So um, even in our everyday life, we, you know, we think that we are experiencing the world as it is. This is our, this is our illusion of, of everyday life. Um, but really what our brains are doing are reducing a huge complexity of stimuli in the environment down to something more simple that we can actually um, take in and, uh, you know, we pay attention to certain parts and uh, we, you know, construct an understanding of the world that can help us in the future. So um, this, uh, you know, story narrative tends to be based on on cause and effect. And there's there's so much in the world that we, that we can't control or can't understand. Um, and I guess... In a nutshell, the narratives can help us to, you know, to to construct cause and effect in the world. To say, if I do this, this thing will happen, and you know, narratives give us um, another way of of learning about that. Um, there's, you know, there's there's also um, scholars who argue that one reason that we like narratives so much is that they, they help us, they help us learn. Um, and that they perhaps help us learn about others and, um, how to, how to live in a, in a social world. Um, that if you can, if you can see everybody else making, making mistakes in stories, you can avoid those mistakes or, um, you know, you can teach, you can teach morals to children through, through stories and, teach them how to, how to live. Um, but there's, you know, aside from that kind of anthropological and maybe evolutionary level, there's probably also just, um, you know, psychological reasons that we are drawn to stories and, um, you know, just on an individual level that, um, stories bring us connection with others. They, um, you know, they, they allow us to feel connected to other people, um, they they um they fulfill maybe a need for belonging um and you know this is this is true of narratives not just the ones that we watch for entertainment but also the narratives that politicians tell um to their constituents and the narratives that we tell each other about who we are and 
what we're doing in the world. And it, you know, probably gives us a sense of identity and um, fulfills a, a sense of curiosity of gathering information about the world beyond just what we can see happening in front of us. Um, and, and, you know, probably also, you know, fulfills a need for entertainment um, at a very basic level. We just like them. Okay, thanks. Uh, so maybe um, uh, for a spectator, what, 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 how does it work, the, the transportation into a narration? According to you, with your own uh, field of research, how does it work, mm. this transportation? Right. So, so as a quick introduction, um, I, my, my academic training is in psychology and the, the work I've done in kind of communication, film studies, um, psychology of fiction has been kind of rooted in, in that tradition, um, which means that we, you know, we tend to study um, individuals, um, but then look at their data on a group level. Um, and so we, you know, we will do things like um, give people surveys, have them, you know, maybe watch a film clip and then give them a survey about their experiences of it. Um, you know, maybe asking questions about whatever it is we're interested in. So in this case, um, transportation, um, it's, this is, this is a phenomenon that I think, um, you know, filmmakers and any, any storyteller and most people who have, engaged in listening or watching to a story will will recognize this sense that you're drawn into the story and away from your own world into the world of the story um, and that's where the the metaphor of transportation comes from um, it's also you know it's quite quite similar to these other constructs that we talk about um, uh, for instance you know we might call it immersion you get immersed in the story or um, absorption, same idea, or, or engagement, which could be a little bit broader um, concept. And again, all of the all of those are getting at the idea that you're you're swept into this other world, and that's where, you know that's that's where we get the metaphor transporting from one place to another. Um, it seems that this is. <laughs> it's quite a hard um, phenomenon to really capture. So we can, um, we can kind of write um, questionnaires about it and ask people various questions to get at that, you know, how much did you feel that you were drawn into the world of the story? How much did you, you know, forget about the world around you, et cetera. Um, but it does seem to be this, this construct that we can all, we can all agree is there. We've experienced it. We, um, have this phenomenon um, in front of us and uh, in in a very real way. So it's something that that is that can be hard to measure, but um, we're pretty convinced is there. And some of my work has been on understanding individual differences in transportation. Um, so you know, the, there are some there are some you know basic. Um, I guess, basic principles of um, what makes a narrative more transporting overall. 
So you can, or, or let's say a narrative experience, um, you know, something like virtual reality when it's all in front of you can be very transporting because it feels like the real world. Um, you know, it's, it's just telling a story with words might have to work a little bit harder to be fully transporting. Um, but, you know, things like, um, you know, excitement, well-crafted stories. This is one of the things we talk about when we say that a story is good, um, that it draws us into it. But um, the work that I've done is less about the kind of content or form of the story and more about um, individual differences. And um, what, what we found in the work we've done on it suggests that compared to some other elements of how we interact with stories, like say, um, you know, how much you like a story or um, how much you enjoy a certain genre or, or even how engaged you feel with the characters, um, transportation seems to be more based on, a little bit more based on the individual and their kind of personality, if you will, their traits, um, compared to these other ways of, other aspects of engaging with stories. So it may be that some people just tend to be more transported into stories. And we think that that has to do with um, individual differences in maybe like um, attentional traits and um, the, you know, maybe the, um, just how, you know, easily you're engaged in a situation in general. Um, and uh, it, it, it could also have to do with other traits like empathy, for instance, um, how much you tend to put yourself in the shoes of another person could translate into how much you put yourself in the shoes of the character in a story. Um, is there any more that um, you'd like me to touch on on transportation? Maybe, maybe yes, uh, uh, linked to the previous discussions we've had. Is it, is it, uh, is it something that you would describe as an altered state, you know, this oh. idea of a flow? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. Um, I think there, there is, uh, there is, hmm, let me start again. <laughs> I think there definitely are scholars who um, consider transportation to be a form of flow. And, um, you know, flow meaning, uh, you know, it's a, it's a state you get in when you're totally engrossed in an activity. It's usually quite pleasurable and often, you know, people will have a state of flow when they're doing an activity, you know, like a leisure activity they really like, or, um, the kind of, you know, when you, you, you look up and realize that two hours has passed. Um, and that's a really nice state to be in because it, um, it kind of gets us out of ourselves in a way that um, if you want to, you know, if you want to um, get into the neuroscience, um, it seems that it, it, that's when the default mode network, which is kind of your, your inner narration, your kind of inner, um, uh, your ego, some people call it, um, you know, is, you know, talking and calling the shots and it maybe, you know, feels quite effortful when you're in this state of flow, it feels effortless. It, um, it feels engaging and, you know, like you're really living. Um, and just from the way that people um, describe 
states of transportation. It certainly seems to fit the bill. Personally, I I believe that it it fits the same um, the same construct. Uh, I'm not sure if I have the, the um, you know the hard scientific evidence to to back that up, but um, I you know I would be willing to um, to bet that those are linked concepts. So yes, in a way, I mean, I I would say. I would say I would characterize transportation as a as a kind of altered state in a way um, that can get a little bit tricky. Or you can start calling everything an, an altered state, but um, but yes, it does it does seem to be um, something something different from normal, and that's and that's why we're interested in studying it in the first place because it's a little bit um, it's a little bit interesting. Yeah. Okay, so maybe to go a, a bit uh, further into your field of research, uh, how sure. does empathy relate to narrative? Hmm. Um, yes, that's that's another topic that I've um, done some research on. Um, so, so first, I'll I'll talk a little bit about what we mean by by empathy um, from the kind of experimental psychology field um, or, you know, social emotional psychology. Um, when we talk about empathy, we, uh, we, we tend to um, split up the idea of empathy into two parts. So um, you probably um, typically think of empathy as, you know, feeling the same way as someone else is feeling, um, you know, say someone else is hurt. You, you feel bad for them or with them. Um, so we would call that, you know, feeling the same thing as someone else, that would be a kind of, um, you know, hot empathy or, or um, you know, emotional um, empathy, whereas you might have this, um, what we call cognitive empathy or perspective taking, which is kind of a more um, uh, kind of understanding of um, a kind of cognitive understanding of someone else's state. So you might have, um, you might be able to kind of predict how people are going to act and, um, you know, try to kind of put yourself in their shoes. Um, there's there's a, a few different other ways that you can um, categorize empathy other than this hot and cold dynamic. Like you could, um, you know, you could also... Um, you could also split it into, uh, you know, whether you automatically empathize with someone or you kind of decide to effortfully do that. Um, there's, there's some other distinctions that we can draw, but, um, I'll kind of stick with the, um, the hot and cold empathy, um, as we might call it. And, We've so we've done some research on how um, trait empathy. So this is what people report um, that they typically tend to do. You know, how much do you feel what others are feeling? How much you know can you put yourself in someone else's shoes and understand them? Um, we've we found that that both of these are are related to other elements of stories and related to kind of often how much you've enjoyed. A narrative experience, um, but it seems to also relate to your transportation. 
So the more you tend to empathize with characters, um, the more you will feel transported into a story. Um, and there's some, there's some other interesting aspects as well um, in these differences between these different types of, of empathy, but that's, that's getting into the, into the weeds a little bit. Um, so to explain a little bit more of the um, background of why we think this, this works, why we think empathy is related to understanding of narrative, um, it, it, it makes sense if you sit down and think about it, that um, stories, you know, stories tend to be about people or, or person-like characters. So um, a, a core part of stories tends to be that the characters have agency, they make decisions and they have, they take actions and then they deal with the consequences of those. And there are a group of scholars that believe that um, empathy and um, narrative understanding have a kind of virtuous cycle of a relationship that um, one of the, you know, one of the reasons that we're drawn to stories is that it can teach us empathy. It can teach us um, how to look at the world through other people's points of view. And stories are very good at that. Um, it allows you to step into somebody else's shoes and a good storyteller and a story that has, you know, that really transports you will do that kind of effort effortlessly. Um, so it could definitely have a lot to teach us about how to empathize with others. Um, and, you know, so some scholars believe that that is one of the reasons that we like stories so much that it, it benefits us and allows us to be um, basically better people, to um, interact better, understand others better, um, and function better in society. And it, it, it's, I think it's still an open question whether different types of stories do this better than others. Um, there's some contention there. Um, but it, you know, it, it does seem pretty uncontroversial to say that we do look to stories to teach us about the world and teach us how to interact with others. Um, and it may be as well that people who are interested in other people, people who um, are, you know, maybe high on trait empathy, they care about other people, they want to know how to relate better, may also be drawn to stories for that reason. Um, and, and maybe, you know, that empathy allows them to get more engaged in stories, to, to care more about the characters and feel more sucked in. So it could be this kind of virtuous cycle where one is feeding the other. Um, and I think, again, you know, I've, I've mentioned like some of the research on this is it's, it's quite a hard thing to do because you can't really um, study this super rigorously and, you know, have one group of kids grow up who never get access to stories and, and have another who do and compare them. That's not really an ethical thing to do or even very practical. Um, so we, we try to, we try to study it in, in other ways. Um, but I think even without the um, empirical evidence of that, I think it is probably a useful way to understand um, how stories work in the world. Um, 
I think you you don't need um, a bunch of academic papers saying this is true for you to um, observe that at least this is the way that we treat stories. This is the way we think of stories. Yeah. Does the empathy function uh, similarly and real situation on the fiction? It's the same, the empathy? Mm. Mm. Um, yeah, that's, that is a great question. Um, and, and, you know, that, that comes up a lot. This is, um, uh, shall I, um, shall I answer that kind of as a, a larger question about, um, how, how we process fiction different from yeah. reality? Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, or, okay. Or, um, yeah. So, okay. I'll, I'll start by kind of outlining um this you know what I, what i mean by this difference between let's say reality and and fiction um because as i kind of alluded to before um our our concept of reality really is based in a kind of narrative anyway these are the the narratives that we tell ourselves um the narratives that we have about our lives that we're so embedded in that it's hard for us to even see most of the time um But, you know, the, but we can draw a line and say that, okay, so reality is, is what we, you know, what we perceive to be the real world that can, you know, actually um, kind of uh, literally affect us uh, versus, you know, fiction, which we perceive to be a story that's been written by somebody else that, um, you know, isn't necessarily true events that happened in the world. Um, and the, I mean, the first thing that I'll say about how we process fiction and reality, um, is that as a researcher, I'm actually more impressed by how similarly we, we process them by then by how we process them differently, because, um, that is the kind of genius and beauty of stories is that it seems to, um, it seems to almost, um, hijack the mechanisms we have for for processing the real world um that you know we you know we we tend to we treat stories actually quite similarly um whether you know they're fictional or whether it's you know gossip that you're hearing from a friend about something that actually happened but um uh but there are a few ways that they differ yeah the main difference between fiction and reality is that we know that Um, fiction can't actually affect us. So it gives us a space to react in ways um, safely. So, you know, one of the, one of the research studies that I've, um, that I've done in looking at the difference between um, fiction and reality was um, we had volunteers watch a video of a, um, and a police interrogation of someone suspected of murder and we told half of the viewers that this was a real um cctv video and half of them that this was um fictional done by actors it was you know crime drama and we found that you know generally they they engaged with it pretty similarly but one of the main differences was 
uh, when we asked them about how much they could, you know, identify with the murder suspect, with the bad guy, um, and, you know, get into his head and imagine what he was thinking, uh, people in the fiction group were much more likely to do that. They were, they were, they, they kind of had this moral license, I guess, to um, get inside his head and try to understand this, this very bad character. Whereas in the reality condition, when they believed it was real, they, they seemed less willing to imagine what this person was thinking. Um, just the, the fact of knowing that this was a real person who did something dreadful kind of cut off their, I guess you could say, their, their cognitive empathy, um, their willingness to put themselves in his shoes. So fiction may give us this, this safe space where we feel that we can kind of break what would otherwise be taboo, which is, you know, sympathizing with the bad guy. Um, and, you know, in, in other ways, it gives us this safe space as well. Um, but, you know, you can, you know, people can, you know, can, you can watch a horror movie and get this thrill of excitement while still knowing that you're safe. And, you know, interestingly enough, people who are really high on transportation as a trait um, might like horror movies less because if you get too drawn into this world and it becomes too real, then suddenly it's a little bit too scary. Um, so, uh, again, that, that line between reality and, and fiction can be kind of, can be kind of blurred. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's possible that fiction allows us to be more, to be more empathetic Maybe a, a way to continue in that uh, line of, of, of questioning would be to ask you uh, whether um, repulsion can replace empathy as a way to create transportation. Hmm. Could, could you explain that a little bit more? Can repulsion, uh, because you were uh, talking about empathy as a, as a way to connect as with what is happening on screen to such a point that it starts this, it, it, um, it reinforces the transportation uh, uh, system in a way or process, hmm. uh, the immersion, right? Um, right. Empathy is a tool to immerse us in fiction. That's clear in what you say. But then us as screenwriters, we can use empathy But we also uh, are interested in using repulsion, you know, um, mm. in, in what can, could uh, connect us with, with the character, at least in terms mm. of it's among the stronger possible emotions between us and a character, this feeling of repulsion. But is repulsion for a character putting us... Uh, outside of the screen or can it draw can be can be can it be taking us mm. into the screen repulsion right so yeah so i've i've talked about how yeah how empathy um can draw us in mm -hmm. um but yes we we do find that transportation can Transportation can occur 
even when you don't feel empathy with characters. So the the empathy can can probably um, increase transportation, but part of transportation is just being sucked into this world. So you can also be definitely you could also be fascinated by characters that you are repulsed by, and probably you know any strong emotions about the characters can can pull you in to this narrative. So um, you know probably. Uh, probably like love, the you know the opposite of transportation is indifference, not hatred. Um, so yes, we find we find that you know people um, that that was one of our findings um, study of individual differences in transportation that it it didn't it didn't depend fully on how much you liked the film that you're watching. Um, how transported you got. So you can definitely be very transported even when you don't like the film, you don't like what's going on, you don't like the genre, you don't like the characters. Um, that so, so I think, yeah, definitely repulsion um, or, you know, something like, like a morbid curiosity or this morbid fascination can draw us in. And, you know, that would, that would probably explain the, um, the, the fascination with um, stories about antiheroes and, um, you know, the con- complex, conflicted um, characters. Another question would be um, something which for us uh, on the side of the creation of stories is, is always a, a very difficult one because it's we feel we have it and then we lose it, etc. The creation of meaning. Uh, mm. How do you see that operating? How does, that, how does the creation of meaning operate from your angle of analysis? And does, does the cre- is the creation of meaning among the factors uh, uh, to reinforce transportation? Or can a film be transporting uh, and at the end satisfying, which is another maybe level of, of uh, feedback. Uh, can, can a film be transporting and then maybe satisfying if there's only, uh, uh, you know, empathy or, or repulsion, strong emotions, but, but leading to a lack of meaning? I mean, not mm. going parallel with the, with, with, with the creation of meaning, you know? That is an interesting question. Um, and I would have to say that I probably can't give a very satisfying answer from a scientific perspective um, because that's something that I, I haven't studied in in my work or or even read a lot about um other people's work on um what i can say about it is that overall engagement with narratives does seem to be related to other constructs like finding finding something meaningful um that you know, th- there's a concept that we would call appreciation, um, which you know partly might be 
about how much you enjoy something, but but also about whether you found it, um, well, I sp- you know, I suppose ultimately meaningful, um, whether you would want to watch it again or recommend it to someone else or um, found it kind of worthwhile to watch. Um, and And I suppose one way of something being meaningful is relating it to your own life. Um, so if it makes you see the world in a different way or understand your own life in a different way, or even just, um, kind of reminds you of your own experiences. Um, and we do know that the very, you know, various forms of engagement do tend to correlate with these other constructs like, like transportation, but, I, it's it's a very interesting question about what was the original question about the relationship of transportation and meaning yeah was that or or yeah okay. can you be transported um, with a story which is not generated uh, generating meaning right um yeah i would i would say that yes you can be transported um by something that is not generating meaning i would say because transportation is more of um an experience or phenomenon that happens in the moment um and meaning tends to be something that we construct afterwards um looking back at an experience as a whole or at least that's how we tend to measure it Um, there are, you know, there are now some uh, researchers who are trying to measure some of these reactions to um, narratives or to film um, kind of as it happens. Um, it's, it's quite hard to do because, you know, if you're, if you're constantly asking people, how are you feeling? Are you transported? That can actually, you know, pull them out of their experience of transportation. But um, there are some researchers who are, who are trying to do this um, and they're, I think, focusing more on things like transportation um, rather than on, than on meaning. But that would be a very interesting thing to study in the future. Maybe a slightly different one, because uh, here we, we, we've just been talking about transportation. Is transportation correlated with meaning? Uh, and you say no, which I find really interesting. Uh, and is transportation correlated with satisfaction, the feeling of being uh, uh, happy, you know, satisfied with the experience you've been uh, living in the film? Can, is there a, tr- yes. a correlation between transportation and satisfaction? Um, yes, as far as in, as far as we know, and in the the studies that we've done and, and read. Um, there, there is a relationship between transportation and what you might call satisfaction, kind of your, your enjoyment of the experience. Um, but what we, what we don't know very well is the causality of that. So, um, it's, it, you know, again, it can be difficult to kind of manipulate how transporting something is, um, without kind of changing the stimulus itself uh but 
Yes, we we think that there definitely there definitely seems to be a relationship between them. It could be that um, it seems likely that the more transported you feel, you know, the more enjoyable an experience that is putting you in a state of flow. But again, you can be transported into something that you really don't like. So again, like for me, a horror film, I could feel very transported but feel extremely unhappy about it and not enjoy the experience. So I think it it's probably not a, a simple relationship that more transportation equals more enjoyment. Um, it, it might, you know, might just amplify whatever you are feeling. Um, and I, you know, whether there's a relationship the other way, if you enjoy something more, are you more transported? Um, again, some of the work we've done suggests that there probably isn't a link in that direction, or at least that we find that people aren't necessarily much more transported um, in a genre that they tend to enjoy versus a genre that they don't enjoy as much. Um, so it, there may not be a strong link that the more you enjoy something, the more you get transported, but there could be other links in that, you know, you're, you're more likely to watch things that you think you'll enjoy. And um, so you might be willing to allow yourself to get more transported. Uh -huh. There's, I think there's a lot of moving parts there, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I would, I would say the overall takeaway message is that there is some relationship but it's not a kind of simple one that I would, I would guess that transportation seems to amplify your experience, whether that experience is enjoyable or not. So we've been looking at uh, uh, those issues from the angle of uh, the spectator taken as an individual. Uh, and how are these phenomenon reinforced or not? by the group, by the group bonding experience. I mean, meaning, mm. is the transportation experience reinforced by the fact that a, a whole group around you of spectators are transported together inside it? Or is the transportation reinforced by the fact of being alone in your room, for instance, or feeling mm. uh, you're living it by yourself? Or, and also in the satisfaction experience? Is the group bonding parameter uh, a factor of enhancement, of, uh, of reinforcement of, of the satisfaction? So without even looking at research on this topic, you know, we can see just from the world that people do enjoy experiencing narratives in, in groups. We, we enjoy going to the cinema and watching films with others. We enjoy gathering to, you know, you know, even within our own homes, gathering with our family members or friends. Um, so, but, but, you know, we also enjoy watching things on our own. Um, and that can also be a, a you know, a, a very fulfilling experience. Um, looking at the research that we've done on this, um, we find that watching watching films in groups does does seem to uh, promote group bonding. It does seem to um, you know you get a group of people together, 
they sit down and they experience something um, all together. And especially if that something is something is very emotionally, um, uh, you know, brings you through a lot of emotional highs and lows, uh, then that can be a, a powerful group bonding experience. So we we did some studies where we compared groups watching a documentary and watching a very kind of emotional kind of tragic story and found that people experienced more group bonding with this emotional story than watching just a documentary together. There's something about experiencing emotions together. But yeah, transportation tends to be a kind of individual experience. And I think we've all had that experience when you're say in the cinema and there's somebody next to you who's, you know, talking or making noises and distracting you from the film. And that really takes away from your transportation into it. So there's, there's elements to which being in a group can distract you or even, you know, just um, having other people around, you might be interested in looking at those other people. Um, You know, think about some theaters where you have the, you know, the Royal box, which is kind of perpendicular to the stage and, you're meant to be seen and and look at the audience rather than necessarily the show. Um, so, yeah, I um, I I unfortunately don't have hard data on um, whether people are more transported in watching something in groups, but I can say that our experiences overall of narratives do tend to be different when we're watching or listening um, in groups. And, you know, like you find people laugh more when they're in a group um, at a comedy. Um, And uh, there's something about being around other people that, you know, we have our foot kind of rooted in the real world. Even when we feel transported in this story, we are aware that we are in a room with other people. Um, And, that there is there is definitely something about being in groups that changes the way that we experience um we have a more communal experience of that story thank you so much for that thank first uh, bit uh very enlightening for for us uh really uh so what i propose is that i, I will give the microphone to our four screenwriters here so that they can uh, push you uh, further on, on the on the path. Uh, Excellent. Uh, thank you, Jacqueline, for this presentation. Um, I d- do have a couple questions for you. Um, right. You said that um, the more you empathize with a character, the more you are transported into a story. And I, w- I was wondering, uh, what exactly do you mean? by empathy or rather do you make a difference between the likability of a character like likable character mm. or trying to give a sense of the agency the context of which uh, in which the character is actually making decisions and acting and, and doing actions Does that make sense mm. that's the first question and the second question is you also were uh, you mentioning the understanding of the world. And I was just wondering if you present to an audience a very foreign world that is that contrasts very much with the world we actually live in, like a foreign country or, or a milieu that is very different or an imaginary world, 
would that also enhance in a way the transportation is that a, 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 mm -hmm. a condition to actually hook you in, and transport you even more because the world that you're shown oh. the fictional world is in fact very different than yours oh gosh that's i'll start with the second question um as that's fresh in my mind that is a great question and something that i'm not sure if anyone has done research on probably somebody has and i'm not aware of everything um i okay so in, in thinking about you know fictional worlds that are similar or different to ours um i i don't actually know if having a very different world leads to people being more transported and you could probably make an argument either way. You could probably say like, well, you know, it's so different. People are going to be paying attention. They're going to be interested. Or you could say it's so different that they can't connect, that they can't feel part of it. Um, and I, I do think there's probably both elements going on that people pay attention to things that are new, um, but they, you know, need a sense of, need to some connection to build the scaffolding on. And one thing that we do know that we that we do have an idea of um about uh the difference between kind of really novel fictional worlds and very familiar ones is that um you can change the kind of um surface aspects of the setting quite easily so um you know, you can you can have it set in outer space. You can have it set on another planet. You can have it set in a kind of dream world where trees are upside down and you know the people are made of metal. Whatever. Um, these these physical characteristics um, don't seem to change uh, or don't seem to impair how we connect with the story. But people ha really have a hard time um, understanding. Uh, in, in getting um, engaged in stories when the moral universe is different. So if you're imagining a world where murder isn't wrong and is in fact, you know, celebrated, that's harder for people to connect to. Um, people just don't seem to be able to take that on board. Whereas these, you know, counterfactuals, people can easily believe in a world where there's no gravity but they can't believe in a world where there's no morals, um, or at least they find it very hard, uh, which is an interesting, very interesting aspect of the, the human um, psyche. And, and I should say that this is, um, you know, this is based on research and understanding of kind of Western audiences, I would say. So, and, and in fact, all the work I've been talking about is, um, so I, I I couldn't necessarily vouch for um, people in in all cultures and societies, but I would hazard a guess that that is something cross culturally we do you do see moral morality um, is very important in in cultures, although the the aspects of that morality may differ. You might have you know um, deference to the group being more important in one and different and you know the the freedom of the individual being more important in another but there's still a kind of moral framework that um people kind of base their judgments of the world on um 
Could you remind me what your first question was? <laughs> it seems almost irrelevant now. I don't know. Um, the first oh, question okay. was, um, but the first question was, um, um, about empathy. When you talk about and... empathy for the character, does it mean? Mm. Does it only mean that the character is likable, or it is mm. connected to the idea of the world? How much of context do you need to give in order to create conditions for empathy to occur? I guess that's mm. my question. Yeah, that's that's a a good question. I mean. A lot of the work that I've done is on individual differences in empathy. So we we um, you know measure how empathic people tend to be in general, and then see how those differences in different people um, translate into differences in the way they experience the story. Whereas I guess what you're asking is you know how you can change the story, the characters in it, etc. To to um, engender more empathy and at a basic level i would say the way that you know empathy tends to work um we you know as humans we have um different aspects of empathy some of it is deployed kind of automatically um you know the, the way you might just immediately um feel sad for someone if they're crying uh and others are more selective and we might kind of deploy our empathy based on whether we think someone is part of our in-group or not you know whether we think someone is worthy of our of our empathy if someone's you know similar to us we feel like they're on the same team as us um so there's there's elements to both that you can um that you can manipulate. So if you have a character for whom they're trying really hard and everything bad is happening to them, that's going to be a kind of a universal pull for people to kind of feel some empathy for them. But also if you can frame a, a character in a way that makes them, uh, that, that really gets the viewer to um, feel like they're on the same team, they're on the same side. And that could be through, literally showing the world through their eyes um it could be through kind of emphasizing the similarities of this character um it could be through um you know the the way that the character is portrayed as identifying as part of a group or um you know the type of person who does certain does certain things like i you know emphasizing the identity being similar to the viewer um but but yeah, I, I don't know in terms of um, transportation if that, if those, I, w I would guess that those changes would kind of increase transportation if you can increase empathy in those ways, but we haven't actually studied that particularly. Okay. Who continues? Yeah, Alita. Uh, hi there. Yeah, thank you for um, for your presentation. It was was fascinating to listen uh, to listen to. And um, I, I suppose it's more of a reflection. I'll try and formulate um, kind of. Yeah, just wanted you to react to, to this, perhaps. But it's a kind of an extension to, I guess, Matthew's first question. Um, 
it seems that the four days that we've spent um, a lot, uh, uh, we, we, we've had uh, speakers from like three continents um, with very, very different cultural background. And uh, one speaker yesterday was talking about certain uh, traditions in storytelling where indeed uh, there is an open ending without a moral agency attached to it. Um, and so um, I was, uh, you know, you, you, you very correctly pointed out uh, in, uh, in, in the final part of your answer uh, just previously that it is a very sort of, um, yeah, occidental uh, or kind of Western, Western uh, point of view, you know, probably very linked also, also to Catholicism and Protestant culture, et cetera, et cetera, um, it seems. Uh, but... Um, uh, it is, uh, how can, I suppose you kind of answered that, but I'm interested in this kind of more, you, you know, um, the, um, could we consume indeed when we've been so conditioned? Um, yesterday, Christelle, our colleague, uh, sort of um, pondered uh, about one particular filmmaker called Michael Haneke, who is from the north in Austria. And uh, I would be keen later on to talk uh, perhaps with my colleagues about him. But it, 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 it seems we are conditioned by, by a certain well, first personal narrative, upbringing, personal history, uh, but also uh, very much our, our culture, you know, Austrians receive a story in a very different way and they understand, uh, they understand emotion and empathy in a very different way than, say, um, uh, than, say, a someone from Senegal would or from Mexico or from, um, and vice versa. And um, I suppose to what extent are we able to um, to cross to cross to pass this cross cultural sort of codes of communication um, in um, I mean I guess it's kind of like uh, yeah it's a it's a it's a it's a very broad question and but yeah maybe just to reflect on that more than than give I I wouldn't expect you to yeah have mm. the answer definite answers but um, it, it seems sure. very much about conditioning culturally also in terms of our heritage uh, of course personal and which doesn't diminish somehow the the craft or the value i i guess uh and then it's a matter of choice and what you like and your taste and all sorts of other things mm -hmm. so so are you are you asking about this kind of from the direction of um being interested in in how narratives from one culture can be um, accessible to others as well, or or you know That's how right. we can kind of cross those boundaries, and how um, can they transported effectively uh, beyond the uh, beyond the very obvious sort of all uh, pity or uh, as you mentioned rightly, or you know if you have a character that you know some you know only bad things happen to them and you kind of you know your your cognitive empathy is triggered and that's kind of an obvious one but how can you you know tra tra transport you know in a more subtle way is is that yeah mm. a wishful thinking in a way when you're conditioned to i don't know to live to have been raised in austria in a very rigid Protestant upbringing mm. and your whole perception of the world is 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 like that and so perhaps 
a very sort of reserved character speaks to you way more than a very expressive uh, character from Senegal, for example. Hmm. Yeah. Warm, hot thing. Yeah. You know, just to, you know, I am a... aware of the stereotypes. Yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a, that is, a, I mean, that is a challenge. And um, I mean, personally, personally, I'm kind of of the opinion that, you know, in order to influence someone, you have to get them through the door first. So, you know, you have to, <laughs> you have to make it kind of appealing enough that somebody will stick with it. Um, you can make the most incredible piece of art, but if nobody engages with it, then what's the point? Um, and to me, and this is probably speaking more of, you know, me as a person um, slightly influenced by, you know, my, my understanding of the, you know, science behind it rather than as a, as a researcher first and foremost. But um it, it seems to me that you, you need enough of, um, you know, you need enough touchstones to draw somebody in. And there's, I think some of the really great stories, you know, have a universality to them. Um, there's, you know, in, uh, it seems like everything in psychology is kind of uh, contentious nowadays and people are reevaluating evidence and looking at things cross-culturally and saying, okay, maybe these findings we thought were universal are more specific to one culture than, than, than we thought. But um, I don't think it is controversial to say that, that there's definitely, um, you know, emotions that, that are common to humans across all cultures. And there are, um, and, and that stories themselves exist in all cultures and that there are some basic commonalities there. And if you can, you know, if you can scaffold something based on, um, you know, some sort of universal arc um, or universal draw, like if you, if you kind of have basic emotions and, um, and, and things that we can all relate to, like, you know, death, birth, love, um, you know, disappointment, um, all of these things that 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 does draw people in um and I, I don't know i kind of think that you have to probably understand the culture of the of the viewers that you're you're trying to entice um and that that would be i mean as again as an empiricist you know some you know somebody who like my job is to kind of test evidence for things, you know, not to, um, not to to just make assumptions, but to actually catalog people's reactions. That you know, I w- I would suggest the best way to do it is to try out versions with um, people from these cultures, get their feedback, and say what you know what drew you in. Because there's always going to be aspects that people can't reflect on or don't realize, you know, mechanisms that don't, people don't realize are happening. And that's what a lot of psychology studies is these things going on under the surface that we're not aware of. But um, there is still an awful lot that people are aware of why they liked um, a certain story or not, or what what they felt engaged in. Um, So I think you can get a lot just from presenting it to people and, and 
and asking them, asking them about it, asking about their experiences. Um, yeah, that, that, that would be my, my take on it, I guess. Christelle, Pierre? Uh, go, Pierre, because for me, uh, it's okay, your answers to Mathieu and uh, Ralitza uh, uh, response to my questions. So thank you. Mm. Pierre? Okay, Pierre. great. Um, so my question is, you um, analyzed and sub subdivided um, empathy into different types of empathy for us, hot and cold and so on. And I wonder if you can do the same thing for the notion of transportation. Because right at the beginning of your mm. chat, you um, talk, we talked about it, you know, is it an altered state or not? But I, as, a, as, a, as a writer, I want to go one step further. Um, there are different forms of altered states. And I wonder if you've done any um, work on that and just to give you the background, I think all of us as screenwriters, all four of us, we're always dealing with a kind of Hollywood law and American law, which says your job is to get bums on seats. The way to do it is to have the hook at the beginning. You have to hook people mm. in. You need strong narrative drive. And on the one hand, we believe this. And on the other hand, we're trying to create gaps in it for greater meaning or more subtlety. Uh, yesterday, uh, Matthew was talking about, you know, celebratory um, um, involvement in the, the real world, as it were, in, that cinema can bring. And um, I can love, um, you know, uh, whatever, die hard type experience, but I also want to see something else. And some of my very favorite films I've fallen asleep in um and many times mm -hmm. and they never and sometimes you know I go back to fall asleep in a different place and it's a different kind of experience and the straight <laughs> thing of oh yeah but that's elitist and we have to get you know we have to engage with the most people possible uh is one um approach but there are different forms of audience experience, in fact, and uh, I suspect different forms of transportation. Mm. Well, I think you've hit the nail on the head there. You've, you've covered a lot of um, really um, pertinent topics there. Um, so I'm, I'm wondering how much more I have to say on this. But um, no, I think well, I do just, have a few. Know, uh, I do have a few ideas on that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there's there's a lot I could say about this, but um, there. Yeah. So so there's definitely um, there are definitely many facets to audience engagement that um, researchers study. And this the transportation aspect. It's OK. I won't go into the weeds here because. There's all these details people kind of debate about like, okay, well, what exactly do we mean by transportation and where does transportation end and this other form of engagement begin? But basically, you know, we have a few different constructs that we think are, that seem to be different enough that we measure them separately 
and we don't just equate them to each other. So I talked before about how a lot of these um, are related to each other that say, you know, like feeling empathy or emotional engagement is related to feelings of transportation. Um, but that's not to say that they're the same thing. And uh, so, you know, you, you might, you might measure like your emotional engagement, your this transportation, like your feeling of being, you know, there in the world of the story. Um, but maybe also separately your attention of, you know, how, how much attention you paid to it. Um, or kind of like your understanding of the story or, um, you know, if you're, if you're reading a story, like your mental, your mental imagery of it, maybe. Um, and again, all these constructs tend to be related. And if you're higher in one, it seems to kind of boost the others as well, or, um, uh, there's some sort of relationship, but, um, but, but yeah, certainly, um, transportation and say like your appreciation like you were you were talking about how some of your favorite films you don't necessarily feel this um you know the the kind of attention hooked edge of your seat um feeling that you get in hollywood blockbusters um and and for sure transportation is you know is not the same as enjoyment and kind of as i talked about before like they they don't necessarily um you know one doesn't necessarily lead to the other. Um, there's probably a more complicated relationship there. And, um, and, and yes, that you can really appreciate something without feeling transportation. There's many, there's more reasons to engage in stories than to just get in that state of flow. I think that transportation can often help, um, you know, in, in the same way, that being in love can help a relationship along, but, um, you know, infatuation isn't the only necessary condition for a relationship and it's often, you know, not, not enough. Um, so, you know, similarly, transportation isn't the end all be all. Um, I would say as well, though, that you were talking about, um, as a screenwriter trying to kind of um, having this maybe difficult relationship with the um, kind of Hollywood, um, uh, you know, kind of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, like the, the, the strict formula, I guess, of, uh, you know, how to, you know, how to get people hooked. Um, that, yeah, there's, there's an interesting, um, there's I guess an interesting way you can think about it in terms of like disruption versus um kind of incremental change that I'm I'm imagining like this analogy of um of your um say film tastes or narrative tastes versus your um your palate of you know what food you like to eat whereas the you know, it's easy to kind of compare Hollywood blockbusters to junk food that, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's sugary, it's salty, it's umami, it's getting you, you know, it's hitting all the, all this, all the sweet spots of, you know, evolutionarily, it's all these things that we want. Um, but, you know, you, you might not feel kind of fulfilled by it afterwards in the same way if you're, if you're eating, you know, lentils and, um, and you know greens and kale um 
And certainly in terms of food psychology, we know that exposure is one of the elements that you can, you know, I mean, you could literally just give people only lentils and kale to eat um, and they would eventually get hungry enough that they that they would or you can force them to. But, um, you know, just kind of exposing them to it bit by bit can also can also change one's tastes. So um, there's, you know, maybe an argument for, again, trying to have have enough of the, you know, familiar touchstones, but also try to, um, you know, bring in other elements as well. So deviate, you know, have enough of the formula that you can still get bums on seats, as you said, but to um, bring in something else. And and certainly, like, if you compare to um, our, our understanding of music, say, um, I've, I've done a bit in music psychology as well. Um, the music that we tend to like the most isn't just the most familiar stuff. It's something that has a scaffolding of familiar chords and rhythms and themes, but the best music is something that has something a little bit different, a little bit surprising. Or, or even if you look at, you know, um, attractiveness of people and like say actors, like a lot of, you know, a lot of the the most attractive actors are not just the ones that have the kind of most generically beautiful face, but they have some sort of interesting feature that draws you in. Um, and I would I would guess that um, narratives are kind of the same way. We like as humans, we like both familiarity and novelty, and we want a balance of those. Um, So yeah, I, I could anyway. I could talk for ages on this, probably, but um, I'll maybe stop for a breath there and I, see if there's anything else you're interested I, I would, in um, following up. Yeah, I, 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 to to go back to Pierre's question, which you were uh, answering now, uh, I, I I think um, I, I'm sure you would have uh, a way. I mean, categories. Uh, to differentiate uh, the the being transported phenomenon, like if I give you an example, um, uh, when we are trying to uh, give categories to readers for scripts when they give feedbacks, mm-hmm. uh, because we want to try to avoid as much as we can the I like thing, you know, uh, as a feedback, which is not of any use. For a screenwriter, you know, uh, um, we uh, the, the first level of of trying to help people give a, a, an interesting feedback to screenwriters was in front of every paragraph, in front of every thing that is happening. Are you interested? Are you drawn into mm. it? Are you hooked? Are you taken? Are you immersed? Are you swallowed? You know. Are you, uh, you know, droning under that, in, in that world? Are you, you know, see what I mean? The different, as if you could measure, uh, as if it was just a, 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 the distance, uh, the, the level of takeoff that you're doing from your seat, you know, between your seat mm-hmm. and the screen. Are you still mm-hmm. in your seat one meter above or completely into the screen? And all the, di- all the different states between these two positions, you know, uh, in, in your research, isn't there ways to describe that these different states? 
Mm. Um, yeah, there's certainly a lot of metaphors that people use, um, and you've hit, I guess, a lot of them. You, you've you've um, listed an impressive array of metaphors that you could use for that. Um, and yeah, indeed, when we try to measure transportation, uh, we tend to ask a series of questions that you may have experienced this if you've ever taken part in a, you know, a kind of psychology questionnaire experiment. And, uh, you know, some people get very frustrated because you, 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 you do this scale and they ask you all these questions and you say, you just asked me the same thing in 20 different ways. And, you know, I've, you know, responding yeah, the same thing every time it's yes, yes, yes. Um, but the reason that we do that is to try to get at these subtly different aspects that, you know, some people may understand transportation, even if it's, even if it's exactly the same mechanism operating within all of us, um, each of us may understand it in a slightly different way and um, might respond to these different types of metaphors. So I do I do think it's, yeah, it's useful to kind of describe it in a few different ways. Um, and saying, you know, transported that, I mean, transported or immersed or absorbed um, or engaged, they all, they all mean slightly different things. Um, but I think, you know, people are going to interpret them in slightly different ways. So it can help if you define it in, in several ways. Um, but, but yeah, I guess, um, I guess most of those metaphors do come down to um, a sense of location of moving your location from one to another. Um, all of, all of those are kind of talking about, interestingly in different directions too you might you might say like immersed which suggests going down into some water versus taking off which suggests you know up into the air but um they all when people describe it they all seem to center around this changing of location into the into the story world so i think anything that gets at that will probably give you the right idea could be a scale you know like uh, I, if you if the metaphors about mm. uh, your own world and the screen world is the seat and the screen maybe you know uh, you could be uh, uh, 80% in your screen in your seat and 20% in the screen mm. or you could be uh, the opposite you could be 70% in the screen and 30% in your seat you know uh, and m maybe it's just a scale thing uh, to measure a phenomenon it's 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 in fact, it, it's it's a phenomenology. You know, the, the it's how do you describe something yeah. which is uh, something that you feel and it give it a kind of measurement. Yes, you have just described the field of psychology, <laughs> um, or or certainly, yeah, self-report psychology. We we struggle with this idea of measurement and you know how you can get as objective measurements as possible. In this case, it's not really, you can only do subjective measurements. And sometimes asking people in terms of numbers can be useful, but, um, there, but there are other difficulties with that as well, that not everybody thinks naturally in terms of numbers or, um, you know, there's a certain, uh, resolution after which, you know, if, if you're asking people, are you 70% in the screen or 80%? 
most people won't be able to make that differentiation very much. So often we rely on words that, you know, to say like very, you know, very much, uh, some, not very much, things like that. Um, and we don't, we don't have, I think the field doesn't have a clear answer. This is the way you should do it. Um, at, the, at a very basic level. Um, but if you're really interested in all the details, I can try to um, explain some of that too. Yes, please. <laughs> yeah, no, I guess, I mean, I've probably covered a lot of the things that I would like to say so far, but um, the, I guess the, the one other thing that I would mention um you know, apart from, from emphasizing that, you know, there's a lot of variability in different people. We have some universal traits and interests as humans um, and, you know, stories that can draw on those um, can be quite uniting. But um, I would, I guess I would also say that looking at it from a psychological perspective, um, the way we interact with narratives is a skill and you can see this, this kind of development of this, of this skill and a kind of um, concurrent development of the way we construct narratives as well. Um, and just like, you know, just like um, lessons in school, you need to have a good match between the level of skill and the viewer at um, interpreting narratives and the kind of level of complexity of the narrative. And, you know, that's why, that's why, um, you know, if you have children, it can be very um, frustrating to, you know, watch children's television over and over because obviously, you know, they're learning the skill of, understanding the world and understanding narrative and theirs has to be at a simpler level. Um, although interestingly, you know, the best children's um, films and TV will have uh, kind of nuggets and Easter eggs for the parents watching along too, <laughs> so that they are um, interested as well. But, but, I, but I guess the, the point that I'm getting to here is that um, uh, understanding of narrative is not just something that comes naturally and is universal and is just fixed. This is, as humans, this is, um, you know, these are, um, again, skills, skills that we learn, um, ways of interacting with the world, um, the, the narratives that we use, the tropes that we use, you know, um, if you, if you watch a lot of, you know, watch a lot of sitcoms or a lot of, whatever, you know, whatever type of film, you start to learn the tropes and the um, conceits and tricks of that genre. And that's why, you know, you have, um, you know, you have things like mockumentaries that rely on having people having watched a lot of documentaries in order to understand the humor in what they're trying to do. Um, you have, you know, levels of sophistication. So, um I, I guess, you know, just be aware that the audience is a changing target. And just as 
we can look back to films from decades ago and be like, wow, I can't believe this was popular. And, you know, it spoke to uh, the, the kind of narrative skill level, the narrative um, level of interaction of viewers at that time. Uh, and, and I think things are, you know, everything in this world is becoming more polarized and more niche. Um, so I guess it's just important to kind of balance universals with um, hitting the right, the right level of, of narrative skill of the viewers, um, you know, because this is, um, you know, this is what we as humans do. We're, we're constantly changing the way that we see the world. And that's, I guess, what filmmakers are partially trying to do. Um, so if you can, if you can hit these different levels um, in, in the art that you create, like if it can resonate on various levels, that can um, be something that both gets a wider audience and also can get people coming back you know, to, to watch it again and understand it in a different way. Um, but, but definitely, you know, humans, viewers, like we are not static. We're constantly learning, reinterpreting, um, all the narratives we engage with. All right. That's a beautiful end. <laughs> thank you, Jacqueline, very much. Great. And thank okay, you for that well, conclusion. Thank you. <laughs> this has been a great pleasure to uh, talk with you today and, um, really lovely to just get to to speak quite a lot on something that I'm interested in. And Super. I wish you all luck in your screenwriting endeavors. Um, and I uh, hope you have a good discussion later on. Yes. Thank, Thank you very much. Thank, Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you very much.